Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander, and I'm here with my co-host, Don Grafham. Don, how are you? <laughs> well, John, we're doing good. I mean, here we are. We can say this, right? We're still in quarantine land right now. I mean, we're doing this over Zoom. We're hoping that Zoom's going to work for us today. It'll be nice to be in the same room and do this again when we can stare at that very empty wall that they set us up for. But but today I'm looking out at my front yard and the crab tree is blooming with these beautiful orange, red, pink kind of uh, blossoms there. It's beautiful. And I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about our topic. We got a great topic for today and I'm fired up for it. How, how are you doing though? I'm doing good. I had to uh, actually come into one of our facilities here because at home we've got well, I have two of my own kids. There's two cousins over. They're running all over the place and dogs are barking and there's just not enough peace and quiet. So I need some peace and quiet to record this. Um, but it feels nice to just get out for a little bit in quarantine season here mid-May. Um, but I'm excited to record this podcast with you because here's our underlying belief. And we say this every time we record this podcast, when leaders get better, the church gets better. Of course, there's all kinds of reasons that a church gets better, but the forefront are people, uh, people like you, Don, people who will lead the church into the future. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And and you know this probably if you're listening, um, we've experienced this, but the bigger you get, the more people you have and the more difficult it is to grow an organization or a church. Why is that? Because people are messy. (laughs) They're complicated. I mean, when there's one of me, I mean, it's pretty easy to make a decision. A few more, it's still kind of easy. But when there's multiple people with multiple opinions trying to make multiple decisions, I mean, good luck, right? So today we want to talk about a strategy and an organizational philosophy behind why we do things the way that we do. And we've learned a lot of this the hard way. Um, We're by no means experts in this. We have a track record of doing the wrong things at the wrong time. But this, a lot of this, um, what we've learned has been learned through a trial and error type of uh, way here. And it's a strategy that we recently have renewed and re-upped with our own staff. It's not necessarily new to our staff, but we wanted to bring clarity and align our staff around this organizational philosophy. And as you do, Don, you have a way of boiling big subjects down to a few simple phrases and teachings. You are masterful at this. And so before I turn this over to you, I do want to set us up by saying this matters because every church, every organization that I know wants to grow. I mean, growth is a desire for all of us. We want to expand our business, increase our revenue, sell more coffee. Or if you're a church leader, you want to reach more people for Christ, or at least we hope you do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to teach you uh, to what we're going to teach you today is absolutely critical. We believe if you want to expand and grow. Okay. So Don, with that setup, walk us through this teaching today. Yes, that is a good setup. Like you said, the, the larger you get, the more complicated the systems become. And, you know, I was the campus pastor when we were just White Bear Lake and Lino Lakes. And, you know, it felt like you could kind of do what you wanted in some way and and people would accommodate that. You could make a leadership decision and things would start to move forward. And then you added a, another site at Spring Lake Park and another site number four. And now we're at nine locations. 
And so the way that we operate with each other uh, has changed. And we've learned a lot of things along the way. And some of those have been hard lessons. Some have been, you know, just kind of coming with getting larger. But maybe here's a way to talk about this that will help other organizations that are looking to grow. And like you said, maybe it's a church, maybe it's not a church. Uh, But it's something that we've learned about and are still learning about. And so if people want to send comments, I'd be more than happy to to learn from how others are doing this. But, But here's the example that I think will help us to talk about this is, again, we have nine sites, so I'm just going to use that number, and we're going to talk about our kids' pastors for this example. So we have a kids' pastor at all nine locations. We have nine kids' pastors. And let's just say, in this example, we're going to tell them that they each have to go and get a snack for this weekend's services. And if you think about that, you're sitting in a room, you tell nine people And nine of those kids' pastors are deciding what snack they're going to go get. And they're going to go through a different thought process, each one of them. And so some of them might be thinking about uh, what's going to be convenient for them. So uh, some of them are going to be thinking about maybe what's cheaper. Some of them are going to be thinking about what's creative or unique. So if you think about it, maybe three of those kids' pastors, they go to Target because it's on their way home. Plus Uh, everyone loves Target. Plus, everybody loves Target. And (laughs) yes, and it seems to be on the way home for everybody, too. (laughs) And maybe a couple of them and another one goes to Sam's Club because they love a good discount. So they're going to, it's not necessarily on the way, but they're going to go out of their way to get uh, a discount and save the church some money. That's a good reason. Uh, And maybe you have a couple that look for more specialty items. So they're going to go to Cub. Lunds and Byerly's, Kowalski's, that kind of thing. You know, your your swanky kids' <laughs> pastors. They're going to hit the Kowalski's on the way home. Uh, so now they've all made a different choice of where they're going to go. Now they're in the stores and they have to make a decision about what snack is going to be best for their campus. So let's say a couple of them that are at Target, they get Doritos. Maybe one gets the uh, trail mix bag. And those that go to uh, Costco and Sam's, they get the big bags, you know. So maybe one gets the uh, animal crackers, which you're never too old for animal crackers, are you? I mean, we still still love animals. No. And they're not really crackers, but <laughs> we call them that. I don't get that but. And then there's Oreos. You know, you get, the, you get a big old thing of Oreos. You can get a ton of Oreos at, at Costco or Sam's. So you save some money, got a lot there. And then the people that go to Cub, the, the kids' pastor goes to Cub, maybe, maybe that kids' pastor gets fruit snacks because they think it's healthy. It's not, but it says fruit, so it feels healthy. <laughs> and then you have kind of like these, these real health people. Uh, one gets a Lara bar, you know, a box of Lara bars, clip bars, whatever. And then uh, another one, they decide they're going to get vegetables. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, kids need vegetables. They have enough junk food at home. And so they pick out some vegetables. Now, Let's just think about that example. We had nine different kids' pastors going nine different directions, getting, let's just say, seven, eight, whatever, nine different choices of food. Now, even as you just think about that, you have nine people burning gas to go to nine different places. You have nine people making different choices for different reasons, all for good reasons, by the way. I mean, no one's trying to do anything wrong. Even the person getting vegetables is trying to make a good decision as well as the person who's trying to get Oreos. But uh, there's something really good about that system. I mean, I kind of like that system in some ways because that kid's pastor has some some freedom to make some decisions. 
you know, they are feeling maybe nimble because they can do it on the way to church on Sunday morning, for that matter, or Saturday night. Uh, so there's a lot of creativity even that you can have. Like, I'm going to choose this this week and I'll choose something else another week. So there's a lot of positives. I mean, there's creativity, there's ownership, there's the spontaneity or nimble nature. But then there are some real negatives that come with that example, as you can imagine. The time that it takes nine people to drive around. Uh, the mileage that even that is clocked for the organization, there's obviously an inconsistency issue. And then you wonder about quality too. Like, I mean, even you think about the person who picked trail mix, probably forgot that uh, we don't bring nuts to church, you know? <laughs> like all the allergies. I mean, again, that person just didn't even think about those kind yeah. of things. So uh, people trying to make good decisions, but some are good, some aren't good. Or maybe some are great and some are less great. But if you think about doing this a whole other way, and if you were to have your nine kids pastors, and the same idea, you have to pick out snack, but instead of you driving anywhere or having to think about this, we're actually going to hire a 10th person, which is kind of crazy to think about. But a 10th person, we're going to deputize that person. We're going to give them the duty to pick out the, the snack for this upcoming weekend, and that will be the universal snack for all kids ministries across all nine campuses and all kids pastors will embrace that. So let's just say that, uh, that, that 10th person, that person overseeing it, they go to target where you can buy this massive thing of cheese balls. And I don't know why they don't sell them in small, like individual packs, (laughs) this massive thing of cheese balls, which is, it's just way too big, but you buy this huge thing of cheese balls. And instead of each person, each of the nine kids pastors getting their own, they get a, they get a bin either figuratively or literally. And the, the director, the person who bought the cheese balls pours out the cheese balls into nine different containers. And those nine different containers get shipped or moved, sent to the nine different campuses. And in doing that, there's a lot of good and there's some bad that comes with that. It's just a different way to do it. But if you think about some of the good is, again, time is safe because you don't have nine people uh, driving all around. You have quality control because one person made that decision for everybody. You have a consistency, no more uh, vegetables versus Oreos kind of phenomena. Uh, Trust does get built because this is something that's happening over and over again by the same person making that decision. I think credibility will even be built quicker because of that, uh, that track record for those decisions. And then uh, people can now focus on other things that are more important. The kids' pastors can go do something other than thinking about cheese balls or, for that matter, Doritos, Fritos, or whatever other snack. Now, some of the negatives, let's be honest, as there are a lot of great conveniences about that, that cheese ball system, some of the negatives are that you can be feeling like it's less creative. I mean, if you're a kids' pastor, you don't feel like you have the creativity to choose the snack anymore. You might feel like it's less spontaneous. You can't just pick that stuff up on the way in on Sunday morning anymore. And there is a possibility that you're going to feel less ownership because you did not make that decision. So there are some real drawbacks to that model too. But to be honest, it's the model we've chosen. And we've found that the benefits far outweigh those potential negatives where we can have the quality, the time that's saved, the opportunity to do other things. And so that cheese ball model, the cheese ball system we've come up with, instead of people individually picking out their own snacks for 
this upcoming ministry is symbolic. It's symbolic of thousands of decisions that we make every month, if not every week, we are making those decisions where, where we've just moved to this, we've tipped t- toward this thinking process, this leadership model where one person makes a decision for the good of all, mm-hmm. rather than each campus, each leader having to come up with their own, their own decision. And it's been, it's been something we've been doing for a while, but like you said, we're just kind of getting words for it. Maybe I'll pause and let you just jump in there now that I've rattled through this and I have one other thing to share, but, but what, what comes to your mind, John, when you think about kind of these positives and minuses over both those two different models I just explained? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've been a part of this church long enough to have lived through a mixture of this model. I mean, meaning we haven't always been as clear on who we are as an organization and where um, the decision-making power lies in the organization. We haven't been always this crystal clear. We've kind of, you know, and we're going to use a number system in just a bit, but we've kind of wavered um, over, you know, a period of time on, on who we are exactly. But as we've grown bigger, we, we've just found that um, the more we can clarify this for our staff, um, the more helpful it is to free up people to do the things that they were called to do. And so the downside, of course, is that maybe you want to go buy cheese balls, but there's only a few people who we've uh, summoned or deputized to be the cheese ball purchasers. And you're thinking, well, I want to buy cheese balls. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with. It's a hard thing to get over. But what we've asked you to do, if you're not a cheese ball purchaser, is to be great in these other areas. And so one of the phrases, one of the... um, word pictures we used to use a lot more back in the day was, this is your sandbox. And we really wanted to clarify where your sandbox was. You can go as deep as you want in that sandbox, but we're really asking you when you come on staff to not play outside the the sandbox. Otherwise, sand gets everywhere. We have a sandbox at home and that sand gets literally everywhere. So, I mean, I'm thinking of my own kids at at home. Um, so yeah, the, the the downside, of course, is like, well, the sandbox feels really small. The upside is it's very clear. This is what we want you to succeed in right here, this sandbox. You don't have to play outside of it. Um, you don't need to play outside. You want to dig down right here. And so, of course, you know, there's positives and negatives with this. We just found um, in our organization that it's much easier to um, to ask a few people to be decision makers in specific areas rather than multiple people to be decision makers because you're spreading the resources too thin otherwise. But yeah, yeah there's just some thoughts on that. You know, a word that you and I often fall back on is just the word clarity. I, I just think high performing organizations realize that clarity is critical. You know, that once you're clear, then there kind of becomes this well, I don't even know that I like it, but at least I know what we're dealing with here. And I can make a decision whether I'm going to embrace that and push forward or or now I can choose that I don't want to be a part of that, honestly. Mm-hmm. And that'll lead me to my next part here because, because even what I'm teaching right now, John, I don't always love. <laughs> I don't even... I don't either. I, I don't always love that we are a cheese ball society because I want to go pick out my own cheese balls. I, I like to make those decisions. I mean, I feel like God's given me gifts of leadership, ideation, creativity. And so I want to express that. 
And so sometimes I've had to wonder, like, can I work in a cheeseball society? <laughs> and at the end of the day, I've just found how successful the model has been. So I've had my own personal kind of uh, battles with it, which is partly why I think I can empathize with others who maybe struggle with it. Because yeah. here's the, the next kind of visual that I'll give that, and then we can just take a deeper dive into it is, and somebody drew this out for me, uh, probably I'm going to say five, six years ago, where they got up by their whiteboard and they wrote this line across the board and they said, if this is a zero over here, this represents flexibility. And if this is a 10 over here, this represents control. And then they drew a line right next to the right side and they put a nine and they said, at Eagle Brook, we're a nine. So we are high, higher on that end of control. Now, I don't even like to say that, you know, and honestly, when I first heard that, I probably even felt a little offended. Like, wow, do you, do we actually say, do we say those things? And then as I saw it play out and I saw the power of one cheese ball purchaser, and if everybody can get on board with the same cheese ball, like we can have so much more momentum. Whereas if we go back to that first model we talked about and said, no, no, John, you go ahead and go pick your Doritos and you over there, you go ahead and pick your vegetables and you over there, pick your Lara bars. I mean, you can just see the chaos if you actually don't do it that way. If we were to shift over to a two or a three and say, okay, everybody go make that decision. Uh, well, you can see the danger in that too. And so if we're going to land one way, let's be the most effective way, because as we've said many times, we have the the greatest mission on the planet, and it deserves the best attention and strategic thinking that we can have so that we can be more effective in reaching people for his sake. So let me turn the corner and let's go back to those five principles. I didn't give the five principles yet, did I? No, but let's go through them now. This is a great let's one to unpack. Let's give them one at a time because if we're going to make this work, we got to unpack all five of these principles to make this system work. Okay, these are the five critical principles to making multi-site work, to making the cheese ball principle work, I'd say. These are five critical principles to seeing that happen. Number one is assume the best of the cheese ball provider because they want this to succeed as much as you do. Assume the best of the cheese ball provider. You're going to take that one, right, John? Yes, I am. You know, I think when we receive a decision, a product, a creative element from someone, it's so easy to be an armchair quarterback. And what I mean is when you're watching the football game, why did Pete Carroll pass the ball instead of run it in the Super Bowl against the Patriots? What is he thinking? Do you have any <laughs> idea what I'm referring to? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do, but, but most don't. Because Super no Bowl, I can't remember the year. We were on the one-yard line about to win the game. We have Marshawn Lynch, and first down, Pete Carroll throws the ball, intercepted, and it's so easy for me, John Alexander, sitting at home who has no idea about football really other than video games, uh, to be criticizing the coach. Well, take this into our church context. You might receive a decision. You're one of the nine. Someone's purchased cheese balls for you. And it's, it's easy to get critical. Why did they purchase this snack? I, I wanted goldfish. I didn't want cheese balls. Um, yeah. Don't you know our kids here in Woodbury? They, 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 they actually really want the high-end snacks from Lunds and Marley's. They want vegetables. We brought right. them up. Well, they want <laughs> cheese balls. And uh, 
And it's just easy. It's easy in our own spirits to get critical or assume the worst. It's actually safer there because we we're putting up a defense um, against that decision because if it doesn't go well, you can always say, well, I told you so. And so the principle we're asking people here is that when they receive this decision, just assume the best. Assume that people in HR and the operations world spent countless hours researching the very best insurance plan possible. And I might have my own thoughts about it. Well, I wish we had more coverage here. How come it costs this? Or, But I'll tell you what, I don't want to be the one who's researching hours upon hours finding the right insurance policy. Do you? No, I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And so I want to assume the best that they're the experts. We've actually asked people within our organizations to spend hours planning that thing, creating that video, um, planning those songs. And to the, assume the best just to means to trust that they've done the work. And again, it might not be exactly how you would have done it. And oftentimes when you're receiving those cheese balls, those decisions, it, it probably wouldn't be exactly how, how you would have done it. But don't lob critiques without assuming the best. Again, I love this. They want it to succeed as much as you do. And of course, that seems obvious. But I think oftentimes our critiques come from a place of, gosh, if you cared as much as I did, you would do it this way. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah. anything, anything to add to that? Or can we move on to principle number two? No, I, I think you're right. I, I, maybe one thing I will add is here's what is lethal. Is when you turn to your peer and you tell them what a bozo the cheese ball provider is. I've been guilty of that. I just have to confess. I've done that. Yes. And it's very dangerous when yeah. uh, if you've done your best to research, figure out what the best cheese ball is going to be. You hand that off to the nine kids pastors or whatever, you know, the example is. And then one person doesn't like that, which is going to be common that not all nine are going to love any decision you make. And then they start to tell one other person who looks like they might be wavering a little bit too. And then they kind of get an ally or three. And then you have this schism on any given team through any decision. And they did not assume the best out of their cheese ball provider exactly. or come to their defense. Exactly. And I think it's really important for an organization like ours is that we assume the best and even maybe defend the cheese ball provider on occasion. That's, that's high level. Like that's mature leadership there is to even yep. defend the cheese ball provider and then, and then to work together well as a team. And then when you, when you don't uh, agree, then, We'll talk about that later, that yes. we make sure we have the right conversations. Yes, exactly. That's a great addition. Well, moving on to the principle number two, which by the way, if I haven't mentioned this yet, we're going to include um, Don's Prezi. He uses Prezi as Whoa. his present. He doesn't use PowerPoint. He doesn't use Keynote. He uses Prezi, P-R-E-Z-I. And we'll include that what he's created because he's very talented at those oh, it's so <laughs> in our show notes, just so you can uh, take notes or maybe uh, download this, this presentation for yourself. But Okay, principle number two, Don, I'm going to ask you this in a, a question after this. Principle number two is this, recognize that they don't always get a vote. In order to make this work, you got to recognize that you don't always get a vote. Now, Don, in your role, how do your teams navigate this principle? And what advice would you have to people who feel like they don't always get a vote? Which, by the way, is most everyone. 
So yeah, yeah respond to that. Yeah, you know what's funny is sometimes people say, well, that's easy for you to say because you get to be a cheese ball chooser. And there, there, is some, there is some truth to that is I get to choose some cheese balls, but I don't get to choose a lot of them. Not, not even close. I yeah. mean, you asked me yesterday on what I thought the opener should be for uh, tomorrow, or you told me the two of them you're thinking about. I told you the one. Of course, you chose the other, which, you know, still going to be me. great. I didn't choose that cheese ball, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's the exact point is that you and I aren't even making those choices. Just to be I mean, clear, I wasn't even giving you an I wasn't asking for your opinion. I was just telling oh. you. Just <laughs> well, it felt like it. I felt like I maybe had some input. <laughs> but no, but that's actually a really good example is that you and I are in pretty good seats of influence, but we are still given cheese balls. I mean, we still are having decisions that even you and I say that I think I would do that a little differently and, and we don't get a vote. And so it's to this, to the exact, to this point is that sometimes you don't get a vote and that's when teamwork is so critical that you have to trust your team. And, and I honestly do trust the decision you made, which is different than what I would have done. The decision you made is going to be great. I'm, I'm not just being facetious. I really do think the decision you made for this weekend that they made, you didn't even make it, somebody else made, is actually going to be a great decision. And the reason I know that is because you have a great track record or these people who are making those decisions also have a great rec- track record. So assuming, uh, recognizing that I don't have a vote has allowed me to sleep better at night too is when I realize that there are certain things that I can and actually should lose sleep over. What should I lose sleep over? Those are the things that I should focus on and play my biggest part of influence in. And then those that I really don't have the biggest influence over, I shouldn't lose sleep over, someone else can choose the cheese balls. And maybe it's okay that I check my ego, check it at the door and let somebody else make that decision and realize, okay, I don't get a vote. I'm going to, I'm going to let that one go. Now I want to run this phrase by you, John, and we haven't even really talked about this much, but that's because sometimes we value consistency over creativity. Now that's again, one of those phrases, I don't even like to say it, but I actually think it's a part of our success is sometimes not always, but sometimes valuing consistency over creativity. What, what do you think about that? That statement, man, I think that's um, accurate it's hard to even say out loud because we uh, have a generation and a whole plethora, plethora, plethora. Right. I never I, know how to say that word. <laughs> I, think, I think both work. <laughs> both work. <laughs> British or American. I have no yeah. idea. Um, <laughs> we have a whole catalog of books out there on how to be creative, how to be creative, how to be creative and inspire your creativity. And, and yet I think one of the, the things that we recognize that, Um, we earn or lose people's trust. And what I mean is like people who attend or people who are inviting their friends. We want to create a a, a creative, but highly consistent experience for people so they can trust us, that we're not going to shoot way off to the left or way off to the right and come up with something that's maybe very creative, but it doesn't quite work because we so value the trust that we've earned with people. And consistency really does that. And so I, I agree with that. I think it um, most of the time, as you said, sometimes we value consistency over creativity. I would say most of the time. Most of, of course, we want great experiences, we want excellent experiences, we want excellent things of what we create, but we most of all want them to be consistent 
not just home runs once in a while. We're not a home run or strikeout type organization. We're a, let's hit a double. Let's hit a single every single time. Let's be consistent. We're a high average organization. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And again, even though I bristle against the very statement that I made, uh, I think there is a real value to it. And, and you're right. If we can do it in a great way every time, and maybe again, it's not the, well, I'll never forget that kind of moment. Uh, I think we're doing really well. And I think here's the fruit of consistency over the years is when we open up in Rochester and a thousand people walk through the doors on the first weekend. I mean, the only reason for that, if you think, why would that many people come to a brand new church? It's because of the consistency is that we have done really well at just being consistently strong for a couple decades that people trust. People trust us right out of the gate. Yep. So that happens by not by everybody not getting a vote. Mm -hmm. I hate to say it, is that sometimes we just have to work together as a team, which means surrendering your vote for the sake of the, the greater good. Yeah, that's really good. All right, so principle number one, assume the best of the cheese ball provider. Principle number two, recognize they don't always get a vote. And let me tackle number three here. When asked for feedback, do it well. Feedback is a huge deal in our organization. And so the question we're often wrestling with is what's the best way to approach feedback and why is your approach so critical? And I would say that our executive pastor, our boss, uh, Don, is extremely passionate about this area because we've always valued feedback in our organization. I mean, as long as... Um, you know, this church has been growing, which really since 1991, when Bob Merritt came and kind of implemented this whole uh, growth mindset into our organization that we're going to reach people for Christ. We're not just going to be this holy huddle and gather with a few Christians. We're going to reach people who are far from God. Uh, feedback to make things better um, has, has been a key value of our organization. So we've always given feedback, but we've had seasons where we haven't always done it well. And so when, when asked for feedback, do it well, approaches everything. You know, you got to consider your tone, uh, the timing of it. Is it right after someone's done with something or do you wait a couple days? Is it, and if you wait too long, is that now feedback doesn't even matter anymore? Um, so, the, you know, what kind of tone? When are you giving it? Also, we've, we've implemented using phrases like, you know, I could be wrong, but in, in my personal opinion, here's how you're just softening it a little bit. Everyone recognizes that oftentimes we're bringing feedback that's based on our personal opinion. Um, so you want to soften that, that language a little bit when you're giving feedback. But I'll also add that someone does have to hold the standard. I mean, so you and I could argue about is the best opener dream on or higher ground? I'll just use the example. <laughs> and, you know, I, I hold very loosely. You want to dream on of course. I, whatever, you know, <laughs> they wanted to do, I was good with. Um, <laughs> but someone, ha someone has to say, this is the best decision uh, at this time. And someone has to hold that standard. So at some point, someone has to say, this is the way things should be done. And um, so at times you do have to be the one that say, this is, this is going to be you know, the way that's going to be done when it comes to feedback, when it comes to opinions. But going back to this, Don, um, so that's how you approach feedback. But but in a feedback organization, um, more than just when if you're the one giving feedback, there's also um, an expectation on the person who's delivering content or giving a message or singing a song or leading worship. I mean, 
what do we ask people who are doing those things? I mean, what's the best way to invite feedback? Well, yeah, I mean, we've talked about the two questions that we often just have set up in our culture is when, whenever we've done a teaching, a huddle, a devotion, announcements, whatever it could be, is to, to ask a few trusted people, what's one thing I did that you really appreciated? And what's one thing I could have done better? And to the point that you're making, the person that asks for it is going to get it in a loving, kind way, I believe. I mean, and it's going to increase the feedback culture. Yes. Uh, I mean, here's an example is that I recently observed somebody speaking at something and I did have some feedback for them. Uh, Now, they don't report directly to me, indirectly. And at the end of it, I wrote them a, hey, nice job, way to go. And if that person would have wrote back to me and said, how could I have done better? Or one thing you appreciated, one thing I could have done better, I would have gave them some feedback. But because they didn't, I actually did not. Uh, Now, I connected with the supervisor and said, I just want to make sure we're in alignment before I give any feedback. So maybe you you have some comments about this, which he agreed with mine. He had he had he had the same comments. But somebody else I observed two weeks ago doing almost the same thing. I said, "Hey, way to go!" They wrote back right away. What's something I could have done better? And then I had this dialogue with them of ways that they could get better as a communicator. So, so the key to, that you're getting to is when you invite somebody into it everybody grows. I mean, the culture grows, you grow, the, the feedback giver grows too. And, and, and everything gets better, I think, but it, it takes some guts. Yes, it does. Yeah. And I find in our organization that, um, employees, people do this really well initially, and then they lose steam. Like maybe they think they've figured it out. Maybe they're just tired of <laughs> getting feedbacks. We all get tired of that at times. Like I'm maxed out. Um, but this is modeled to us from the top. I mean, our, our top leaders will ask frequently, hey, what, what's one thing I could do better? Um, right. Every week, I'll get Jason's message, our senior pastor's message that says, hey, I need feedback on this. Help me. You know, So he's inviting me to speak into it before he actually gives it. Tyler, my boss, does the same thing. Hey, John, anything I could do better for you? Um, So if I can encourage anyone, it's that even if you've been at a place for a really long time and you think you've got it all figured out, you can always invite feedback. You can always glean truth somewhere from a a trusted source's opinion on the way things are going. So third principle, when when given the opportunity uh, to give feedback, do it well. You know, be thoughtful, be considerate, consider the person's emotions, how they're receiving it. Um, And don't miss your opportunity either. I, I have asked people before for some feedback and they don't get back to me. I don't, I, I will always remember that. And it sounds terrible, but it's a major black mark in my mind. And maybe it shouldn't be, maybe I need to let them off the hook. Maybe they just got busy or, but I'll reach out and say, Hey, I'm inviting you to speak into this. Can you give me some feedback? And I'll just be radio silence. Like don't yeah. miss the opportunity. Cause now I'm actually not going to go back to that person very yeah. often. Like, well, they didn't, want to speak into it. So anyway, well, let, let's move about, on, Don, for the, yeah. for the I sake of time. I say what you did right there is such an expression of vulnerability too. So when somebody doesn't reciprocate and get back to you, yeah, you, you've lost you feel, your chance. Yes, you feel like you yeah. put yourself out there and it's, oh, I don't want to do that again. And yeah, yeah. we could talk about this forever. We got to move on I to know. the fourth principle. Don, I'm going to turn this to you. The fourth principle is this, be the best cheese ball implementer possible. 
What does that mean? Yeah. Well, and I think, again, this is when a team is at its best, is they've heard an instruction from another team member, and then they all line up and say, let's go do that to the best of our ability, rather than pushing back. Now, now there might be a time to say, hang on, let me make sure I get that straight, or tell me again why you're making that decision. There, there is times for that. But I've found that it, how important it is even to like verbalize and say, okay, I had a few questions now, but I'm going to be in full support of this when we leave the room. When this meeting is over, I'm going to be totally on board, uh, but maybe I have a question before we do. But I think when you leave the room, uh, high-performing teams battle for each other. <laughs> they support each other. They defend each other. They care for each other in that way. And then, that, then you're implementing the best cheese ball you possibly can by saying, okay, when did you want that done by? Uh, even here's a good question. If you were to dream how this cheese ball would be implemented to the best way possible, what would that look like for you? Now I'm going to go do that. I mean, and imagine if all nine of those kids pastors went to that 10th person and said, now, how did you dream that this cheese ball would be handed out, that it would be used at what time in the you know hour? Uh, is there an effective way that we would clean up from it or whatever? Like they're getting everything out of what that leader saw. Uh, imagine how well that team of 10 now could move forward. Well, that's true with all the model all the way through what we're trying to do is if everybody can line up, implement it as best as possible, that's how we're going to be most effective. Yeah. Now, now the, the exception that we can talk about this maybe just a little bit, just because I think we need to mention this somewhere, is you've tried to implement the cheese balls at a setting and it's just not working and you've found that you can find another best practice or you want to propose another best practice, is that possible? Is there room for innovation within our organization? Yes. And yes is the answer. And actually, <laughs> That's a good question. Not just yes, but we crave that. However, here's a big caveat, is you have to do it in an appropriate way. Is, and I've started to say you need three checkoffs before you innovate meaning that your supervisor is on board with you, your central leader is on board with you, and maybe a peer who would agree that that's a good idea or a bad idea. And if you have three checkoffs, uh, or by the way, a third one might be your executive leader, who's two layers up from you or a couple layers around. You know, if, if someone at a campus has my buy-in, and let's just say it's back to the kids pastor. Kids pastor has their campus pastor, they have my buy-in, and then they have Darcy, they have the, the central leader, to buy in. Well, we're going to fight for that, even if it doesn't work, if we agreed to it. But now picture that scenario if that person uh, does it on their own, they don't get those checkoffs, and we find out about it a week or two, a month later, and we're like, what were you thinking? I mean, that person's all on their own. I mean, and they're probably in a bad way <laughs> because they, they, they thought they were being innovative. And I'm sure it came, came out of a good thought you know, good reasons, good intentions. However, it can look rogue. You know, it can look like they're, they're pushing against the system rather than trying to create a best practice. And so innovation is great as long as it's done within the process that we have. And it slows things down. I do acknowledge that. But I do think uh, in order to implement the cheese balls, to be a great cheese ball implementer, you also have to find best practices in the best possible way and if we can all do that together, again, we grow and everybody 
everybody benefits. Yeah, that's good. A couple examples that I'm thinking of, um, our worship ministries director and our production director, Dave and Nate, uh, they came up with a phrase um, pre-COVID when we were, remember those days? Feels like a lifetime. Barely, barely, yeah. But in the fall of 2019, and we had rolled out centralized sets. That means prior to that, we had all nine campuses. They were choosing songs that were allowed to be chosen. There was a certain song pool, but everyone was coming up with their own worship journey for the most part. In September, we rolled out that all nine campuses were going to do all exactly the same set. And what we're finding is that people felt really um, constrained by that as they would. We've suddenly said, here's the cheese balls, make sure because they were constrained by, well, we might not have that guitar player. We might not have that singer. We can't pull it off to the same ability that, that maybe you originally thought we could. And so what the phrase that we rolled out, the two words that we rolled out in November after a few months of, of processing this was content versus co- context. Content versus context. We were going to tell you, here's the cheese ball. Here's the content. But you, in order to implement it, to the very best of your ability, may have to adjust it ever so slightly in your context. And that gave them a lot more freedom to be a better implementer. Because truthfully, like you said, it just some of it just wasn't working in their context. So they felt stuck. It's not that they wanted a new cheese ball. It's just that they wanted to like, hey, can I actually hand out four of them instead of three? Because it's just not working. Our kids are getting fat. And I love taking this analogy as far as I can, but uh, the point is content versus context. And um, I'll stop with that example because I think that was helpful for us. They actually were able to become better implementers because they felt some freedom in their context to take what's been given to them and make it a little bit better. And basically the proof was in the results. You know, they didn't have to ask for permission. It was on Monday morning. Could they justify that decision? And was it actually better? And I'll tell you what, 95% of the time, it was actually better. They could justify it. And the 5%, we had a good conversation around and and they adjust differently in the future. So, yeah, all right, good. take a time. Fifth yep. principle, then we're going to wrap this thing up. Fifth principle is this, spend your time focusing on something other than cheese balls. <laughs> yeah. Don, this is good. You've actually confessed. You want to create cheese balls. You want to buy the cheese balls and... Um, so you're someone who has to, at times, set that aside yep. and focus on other things. So what kind of things would you suggest people focus on other than creating the actual product? Well, even if you think about uh, like the role of a campus pastor, you know, a lot of our campus pastors could be senior pastors. Of course. You know, they could give a message every week and they would be great at it, by the way. Uh, they could make decisions that are organization-wide. I mean, they're that kind of leaders. They could... They could express themselves in a way like a, a normal senior pastor would do in a smaller church that kind of is doing all the functions. Uh, but but they don't get to, to speak a message on the weekend. And so now this is obvious when we hire them, but it wasn't necessarily in the beginning. And so they can kind of push back on that and say, wait, how am I supposed to be a senior leader, a, a pastor at a senior level and never give a message? Well, because the message is given, now you have time to invest in your staff, to invest in your volunteers, to care for attenders, to come up with strategic direction for your leaders and for your site. I mean, now you have the chance to dive in where a lot of pastors don't have, I mean, senior pastors don't have the opportunity because they are 
spend so much time spending on a message or doing something else, you know, that, that requires pastoral time, these guys really have opened up their calendar to, to do things that maybe they're even better at, honestly, which is to care for their staff, to lead their attenders, to love uh, their volunteers. And so that's, that's across the board. I mean, really, the campus staff that are all located at our different sites are great leadership developers. I mean, we have world-class leadership developers that, that they can take somebody who's just kind of starting in their leadership and move them into becoming a great leader. And that's what they do over and over again so that we can reach more people, so that we can be more effective in doing the mission that God's been calling them to do. So they're developing leaders. They're caring for directors. They're moving them to a new level. And they're caring for attenders, too, and helping them to get into a five-value life that we talk about, which is back in our vision culture podcast where we talked about the five values, following Jesus, spending time with God, connecting in community, uh, serving others, and living generously. Those are the kind of people that we want to be at our sites. And if, and if we can take cheese balls, cheese balls off people's plates so that they can focus on helping their attenders or volunteers move into a five-value life, then everybody's winning. And so let's give them the time and the space to be uh, effective in doing that. Focus on something that's even more important than the cheese ball because we have somebody else that can go do that. Yeah, that's really good. I don't have anything to add to that because I think that's fantastic. And so again, we'll link to the show notes here of um, this presentation and the five principles. Assume the best of the cheese ball provider. Um, Second principle is recognize you don't always get a vote. Third, when asked for feedback, do it well. Fourth, be the best cheese ball implementer possible. And fifth one, spend your time focusing on something other than cheese balls. Don, uh, any other final notes for people, churches, organizations that would think about implementing some of this strategy into their own? You know, I, I just, maybe one last statement is the, the clarity is critical. Yeah. You know, so you might not be a nine. I mean, and that's, we're not trying to convince you to be a nine, by the way. But if you're a two, then tell people you're a two and tell them what creativity looks like and how they can express themselves and go pick Doritos or fruits or vegetables or, you know, let, but let, tell them that that's, that's how you're operating as an organization. Or if you are a eight, nine, you know, then tell them that that's how you're operating, even though it, it, it's, it can be a difficult conversation. I mean, it has an emotional layer to it. I just think clarity is so critical. And then people know what they're a part of, and then they can add gas to the fire, knowing that that's what their that's what their organization is all about. So, yeah, and if I can add something though, and I think you would say this, so I hope I'm not overstepping here. If you're a five, don't be a five. <laughs> don't be a five. <laughs> yeah. might, that feels like the um, like you want to play. You know, oh, I want to be high control, but I also want to release it to them. I want to be. I, this is our experience working with churches. When they're five, they're going downhill fast. And right. it's not because of what the spirit's doing or what God's doing. It's just because that's not really, that's not clarity. That's just um, abdicating your responsibility to provide clarity for people. I think five, yeah. five organizations do not work. It just gets messy quickly and you will have more tension uh, than you could ever hope to manage ever. <laughs> so yeah, I would yeah. say, either be a two, one, two, or three, or a eight, nine, 10, if I had a vote there. I think you're right. And I, I think what, what gets most 
complicated or frustrating maybe is if you use the language of a two, you know, like we love it when people innovate and everybody express themselves. And then when people start to do that and you say, how dare you? Or why would you ever do that? Or that's not really what I had in mind. And then people are confused and, and you really operate more like a seven or an eight, but you're using language of a two or a three. And so essentially you kind of become a five. That's when I've found that, that people don't last very long No, because it's just so confusing of, wait a second, do I make the call or not make the call? Do I get that decision or not? Mm-hmm. And, and we don't want that. I mean, especially for people that are willing to listen to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, we want you to succeed. And so we want you to have clarity and, and hopefully this cheese ball example will help. Yeah. And if I can just add a few more things too, even with as much clarity as you provide, um, there will be tension. There'll be lots of conversation. You'll have to extend a lot of grace to one another in the midst of that tension. Um, because even if you're clear, there's, there's tension around those decisions. It's, you know, this is our life's work. We're very passionate about it. And so we're passionate about cheese balls. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. sure we have the right cheese balls. So there's going to be tension. Don, I think we've confessed this many times in the podcast, but you and I have lots of conversations, very healthy ones. And then times where I- I'm calling you 30 minutes later and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't respond very well to that. Can you forgive me? And I need a break. And <laughs> can you, <laughs> but you know, with healthy relationships, we can work through it. But of course, there's going to be tension because we don't always agree with the decisions that each of our teams are making. And but we're committed to showing each other grace and um, being forgiving towards one another, but just recognize there's going to be tension in those decisions. So yeah, it seems like every cheese ball comes with a bit of emotion. Yep. <laughs> you know, cheese balls just evoke emotion. And I like that. I don't like that. And we're making those decisions, like I said, by the thousands. So if we're not getting this together, if we're not talking about this, we we could be in trouble. So I'm glad we could have this discussion. I just love this topic. And again, if people want to reach out and talk more, you know, please do. Yeah, this is gold. Um, But that is all we've got for this episode of the Eaglebrook Church Leadership Podcast. And hey, uh, can you do us a favor? Can you subscribe or leave a review or send us an email? Um, We want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts. Um, Maybe you've got questions that we can answer. But again, we're just here because when leaders get better, the church gets better. And our hope is that no matter how or where you lead in the church, that you will continue to grow in your abilities so that your church will reach more people for Christ. So thanks for joining us, Don. Thanks for your thoughts. And we'll see all of you for the next episode of the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. 